Spider-Man tends to usually have some pretty good theme songs, I think. He's up there with Batman. In multiple ways, I think Spider-Man is up there with Batman, you know, like in terms of popularity, cool storytelling, and and at this point, we can say cool video games. Uh, Spider-Man actually has a shit ton of video games, and admittedly, I have not played majority of them, but one franchise that I have not neglected is the Insomniac Spider-Man video games. At this point, all two and a half of them, because technically the Miles Morales game is... Consider an expansion, even though it has its own trophy list and its own platinum trophy. And, you know, it, it, you can play it independently from the first Spider-Man game. Anyway, I digress. Uh, homies, one and all, I want to welcome you guys back to another very cool episode of the Superhero Homies podcast. Today, it is just your boy Q here, but uh, I really have been looking forward to doing this episode ever since I got my hands on the Insomniac Spider-Man 2 video game. And the cool thing about this episode is, even if you aren't an avid video game player, there's still a lot of really cool things to discuss here in this episode that I think you guys would really like to hear. Uh, So, for example, the itinerary for today's episode is really going to be about, obviously, the the quality of the game. Like, how, how good is this video game as a whole Uh, But also, this video game has stirred up a lot of other online, quote-unquote, controversy, if you really want to call it that. There's always uh, a loud group of people somewhere uh, either praising or complaining about something, and in this game's case, it's both. So we're going to talk about, quote-unquote, woke media and what that really means. And is this game a part of that? Uh, We're going to talk about uh, sequelitis or sequel syndrome, as I call it, in in the terms of... Not just video games, but honestly, media in general. We're going to talk about Spider-Man, of course, and what it means to be Spider-Man and how you encapsulate that. And uh, also, as I talk about the video game itself, uh, there will be full spoilers. So if you guys care about that type of thing, then maybe you want to put this episode on pause and come back at at a later time. That's fine. Uh, But if you guys have played the, the video game or if you don't really care that much about spoilers, then by all means, join me. But. Like I said before, I think that whether you guys like video games or not, this is going to be a really cool and uh, special episode. So I myself am a avid video game player. Uh, I've been playing video games since uh, as far back as I can remember. As far back as I can remember how to hold a controller. According to my parents, I had both like an Atari and an original Nintendo. I don't remember either of those. And personally, I don't like to think about that either because that makes me feel old. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, video games have always been a big part of my life. And as you guys also know, at this point, comic books have also always been a big part of my life. So when those two come together for me, it's all, it always makes something special. Um, a few weeks ago here on the podcast, I believe it was during the comic news episode that the homie Caleb and I did. Uh, we spoke briefly about the Spider-Man game. It had literally just came out when we recorded that episode, right? And we were discussing whether or not it was better than the best Batman game, which I think most people agree is uh, is Arkham City. Like, is, is it better than, you know, that uh, that Arkham trilogy? Or you can even include Origins in that, you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, how does it hold up? And I was kind of on the fence at the time because I hadn't really finished, I hadn't 
barely even started Spider-Man 2 at that point. So I didn't really have an answer. Uh, I have an answer now. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to discussing that towards the end of this episode, like where this game stacks up, how it ranks. Uh, but before we get too far into this, I also want to say that if you guys want to hear the episodes as they are recorded and released, then the best way to do that is at Patreon. For one to three bucks a month, you guys can support me and this entire platform. And you guys do get early access to the content that way. So if you guys are into getting these episodes as they are released, that's the best way to do so. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the homie Dylan and I recently recorded a, uh, a very bizarre episode, a sequel of source as well. Uh, let me see if I can remember this name. Justice League X Ruby Superheroes and Huntsman's Part 2. It is a uh, an animated film that has both the Justice League and characters from the American anime Ruby all in one. Is there such thing really as an American anime? I'm calling it that. Uh, anywho, we uh, reviewed the sequel to that movie. <laughs> and it was a very fun review to do. Uh, we also reviewed the first one uh, a few months back. But uh, yeah, so that is currently in the tuck. As well as a couple of other episodes right now, there's there's some that I, I kind of lose track of. Like which ones are still uh, Patreon only, which ones have come out on the main pod as of now. I can't keep up. But with all that being said, homies, let's go ahead and get into this. So I have this set up into, into three different sections um, the first section is kind of like the uh, the uh, the prelude to this whole uh, breaking down of the game, right? So talking about, in broad strokes, some people's complaints and where I think those complaints come from. The second section is the good, what I really enjoy from this gaming series. And then the last section is uh, the bad. Well, technically, that's the second to last section. After I discuss what I don't like about the game, then, you know, I uh, give my final breakdown and score for this game. And so there we have it. So start to start off here about like the. The things about this game that people complain about, there's really just two aspects here that I want to discuss. Right. So one of these is what I do call sequel syndrome. And I've noticed this a lot in recent years with video games. And it's been most prominent to me when it comes to the uh, the latest God of War game, God of War Ragnarok, and also Insomniac Spider-Man 2. Th- those games have actually received similar criticisms to a degree. And, uh, and, and I, I found it very interesting. So I, I really wanted to touch on this episode briefly. Right, so... Some of the criticisms that these newer sequels receive, I think, comes from the fact that the first ones, the first 2018 God of War and the 2018 Spider-Man game, they both changed the genre for those games, right? So, like, the 2018 God of War game took the identity of God of War and it made it into something else entirely, and it was so new and refreshing and and incredible, right? And the 2018 Insomniac Spider-Man game did the exact same thing for the Spider-Man gaming series. There have been plenty of Spider-Man games in the past, just a plethora of them. And, and they've all ranged from, like, bad to pretty darn good, right? But I think that most people will tell you that up until 2018... 
Like the best one had been that 2018 Spider-Man game. Uh, but, and, and not even by a small margin either. There have been other good ones, but that 2018 Spider-Man game, I think it's the first one that people can truly say universally is, is great. So what happens with these sequels to both God of War and Spider-Man? They both mostly receive really good marks from critics and from players alike, but they also receive a lot more criticism this time around. And I think it comes from the fact that people expect these sequels to completely reinvigorate and recreate the genre just like the predecessors did, right? So they expect God of War Ragnarok to just completely turn the genre on its head like the first one did. And they expect the same thing from the Spider-Man game for it to completely just redo and and uproot and just give us something mind-blowing again like that first one did. And that's just unrealistic to me. You know, like, it's not always going to be that way. I think the closest franchise or the franchise that came maybe closest to doing that maybe was the Arkham franchise. Like, you go from Arkham Asylum to Arkham City, but even then you can still see the blueprints of Arkham Asylum inside the Arkham City video game, right? They just kind of expounded upon it. And uh, and honestly, it's not so different from what Spider-Man 2 did from Spider-Man 1, you know? But I just wanted to touch on that briefly because I really do think that that is where uh, a portion of people's problems come from. They... They say things like, oh, man, this is so similar to the first one. And I am looking around befuddled because I don't know what they expected in that regard. Like, did you expect to play a completely different game? I, <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand. Right. So and like in terms of this game being better than the first one, I'm, I'm obviously going to get into some of those aspects, but. You know, you can't always expect the sequel to just completely uproot what the first one did and just be this completely different monstrosity of a video game. You know, you have to let these sequels be sequels, you know, and so it, it was always going to feel similar to the first game. And this isn't me trying to put up some sort of defense for the game. Trust me, I have plenty of criticism, but I think that this is just a, a weird false flag that people get overly attached to the second kind of preamble that I had here. Uh, and this one has been the more prevalent type of uh, criticism I've seen for this game. And it is, is the game quote unquote woke. Um, it just kind of even feels cringy saying that, right? Because the term woke has been, uh, taken and abused and, 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 you know, misused and represented just in media in general. Right. You know, t- typically the, the term woke was actually, as you guys, I don't know if you guys can imagine this, but it was, it was used by, by the black community primarily. And it was a way, you know, just for black people to, to say, keep your head on the swivel. You know what I mean? That place or that people in the environment or that situation may feel safe, but there's something behind the scenes there. Stay woke. I mean, keep your eyes open. Be on the lookout. Things may not be as they seem. It was just a, a you know a way for people to, to to stay aware, basically. But somewhere along the lines, it, it turned into a conspiratorial term, 
where like you know so and so is plotting against you, like the government is doing this X or the or the third, stay woke, and then it turned into a term uh, to uh, spite like far leftist people, I suppose. Um, and uh, Jesus Christ, I don't want to put any kind of politics into this podcast. Uh, it's been doing quite well without it, but. Ultimately, that's where the term woke is now. Like, is it does it have far leftist propaganda? Then it's, it's, it is now deemed and called uh, woke. So that that's the term that which people ask the question for this video game. Is it woke? And, uh, you know, I, I played and completed the game. And there's only three instances that I can think of where people would say that this game fits that uh, critique. And... And again, there will be full spoilers for this game, so you know just keep that in mind. But there uh, is a, a quest pretty pretty early on where you encounter Black Cat and you discover that she has a girlfriend. She, I mean, she just mentions it in, in a throwaway sentence. Um, there is a optional side quest where you actually play as Haley, um, Miles's girlfriend who is deaf, and when you play as Haley, the the game kind of drowns out all sound to uh, kind of make you uh, perceive the world as, as Haley does. And then the third thing is uh, there is a, a side quest, again, optional when you play as Miles and you help this, uh, this student, this male student ask another male student out on a date. Basically uh, those, I mean, honestly are, are really the only times I can, I can think of where like this game could be, pointed at and where, and where people could even conceive of calling the game woke. I think there's maybe one other time where uh, Harry is showing Peter around like the, the new laboratory, the, the new facility that they've created. And, and, and I think Harry mentioned something about having a diverse group of people. And, and I, I know a lot of people would consider that to be woke too. Uh, but, but those are really the only examples I can think of. And to that, I have to say, I think that there are some people out there being overly sensitive and overly critical right um, because most of this is just having these people exist in the world and, and so I don't really understand how that could be considered woke right uh, maybe there is one other thing and I'm going to talk about this in more detail later right but the the, uh, the idea of Miles replacing Peter um, and, and we'll get into that later right but I think that's kind of a different thing, but in terms of this game being woke or, or let's just replace woke with using, you know, leftist propaganda, um, or, or liberal propaganda, I should say, I don't really see that, right? Like it, if it bothers you that black cat mentions in a throwaway line that she has a girlfriend uh, does it does it really bother you that much to play this optional side quest as as Haley, who was a deaf girl, or you know the the throwaway side quest where Miles is helping this kid ask out another guy? I mean, it's not like this game is filled to the brim of propaganda and that it's destroying the story because of it. That's not the case at all. So maybe I missed a lot of things that other people picked up on, but I doubt it. 
because I'm normally really sensitive to propaganda in my media and I and I have a really good track record of calling it out when it happens. I don't think that this is one of those times. Now, there are other things from like story elements or character standpoints that I think the game should have been way better at doing. But when it comes to this game being full of, of liberal propaganda, I think people are being overly sensitive and they're finding a there there where there really is nothing there. you know. So I just wanted to address those two things right off the bat um, because sometimes people's expectations are just really bizarre. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know at all. So in terms of things I like about this, and uh, again, I'm doing this episode solo, so I'm going to try to keep this... <laughs> Somewhere brief, I say that every time, and then I fail every time. But maybe this would be the time that I don't. Uh, so, things I like about this game. Uh, we'll start off with gameplay. So, across the board, the gameplay is superior in every way to its predecessor. Uh, you get a bigger skill tree, the combat is smoother, and they do a great job with the immersion of making you feel like Spider-Man. And they also do a really great job of differentiating Miles from Peter in terms of how they, uh, you know, swing throughout the city uh, in terms of uh, like obviously the, the different cosmetic suits that you get. Uh, the skill trees are, are vastly different for the two of them. Now, I mean, you know, admittedly, when it comes to like the, the standard punch, kick, swing combat, uh, yeah, they, they are going to feel very similar because, I mean, let's face it, they are <laughs> very similar Miles and Peter in, in that regard. But there is, to me, definitely enough of a difference in this game for you to want to choose one over the other, you know, or during certain moments. Like, they, they feel distinct and separate enough, and that's their own characters. And, you know, we're just speaking of a gameplay standpoint right now. You know, we're getting to the character standpoint later on. But, no, the combat feels really smooth. And uh, for me, I have very recent memories of playing of replaying the Spider-Man one game that came out back in 2018. I replayed that leading up to the release of this game. So uh, I, I wanted to play it and kind of uh, reacclimate myself with it on the PS five version, you know, and uh, playing that and then immediately playing Spider-Man two, a lot of differences would be subtle for a lot of people, but they were night and day for me. So yeah, definitely. Um, Noticed a, a small, I mean, not a small, but a, a significant kind of upgrade with the uh, just the gameplay mechanics as a whole. Like the way that you swing and traverse the uh, the web gliding is amazing. Uh, and, and again, just like the, the, the restructured skill tree is also so much fun. So, yeah, gameplay gets a, a thumbs up from Q. Uh, graphics and atmosphere is what I have next. The PlayStation 5 is utilized to its potential here in this game, right? So with the first game, the 2018 game, there were so many differences that you could see and sense from that one and this one. Like, for example, the loading is instantaneous, right? So, like, if you played this game or if you played Spider-Man 1 on the PS4 like I did when it first came out, uh, when you would go from one section of the game to a, another section of the map, uh, there would be like this kind of cool little fun loading screen where you would see Peter on the subway and it would be maybe it, it would be brief, you know, uh, three to five seconds and then you'd be uh, wherever you wanted to go. But with this game, it is literally 
like instant. They do such a seamless job of transitioning you from one spot on the map to the other. The downside is that you don't get the funny little loading screens of seeing Peter or Miles on the subway. But the upside is that you do literally select anywhere on the map that you have fast travel open. Like any section that you have fast travel open, you can select a specific place on the map where you want to be. And then what it does is that the camera zooms out and then immediately zooms back in on that spot. And there's your Spider-Man. So the, uh, the loading there is, is phenomenal. So they did a really good job of utilizing the power of the PlayStation 5. Uh, the graphics are even more crisp. The loading and rendering is actually really fucking good. Like, the fidelity is really good, considering the fact that the map, I think, is twice as big as Spider-Man 1. So you get basically all the boroughs in this game now. And so the, the map is, is, uh, is pretty fucking huge. And along with that, you notice other things like uh, there's more cars on the road and more people, which may seem like a small thing. But honestly, when I was replaying Spider-Man 1, I realized that there were, you know, sprinkles of cars, pockets of cars, maybe in one spot and then a few people walking over there. And it made me realize, man, like this just doesn't really feel as full as New York should feel that this game does a much better job of that, right? So you you see that there's cars moving and going places and people moving and going places all throughout the game, you know, especially in the busier, part, busier parts of the city. So it makes the city feel more alive and, and all the areas, you know, look very distinct and separate from one another as they should. So they do a really good job with that. And again, uh, the, the, uh, the character models for the most part also... For the you know again for the most part look really really solid. Uh, I love the look of the uh, of the suits. There are some suits in this game that are just fucking garbage, <laughs> but there are a a lot of suits in this game that are really really cool. I do think that Miles got the short end of the stick in in terms of the spider suits, which is unfortunate. Uh, but he does still have some really cool suits. So. You know, if you're a bigger Miles fan than Peter and you haven't played this game, don't worry. There's still a lot of really cool Miles suits for you to unlock. Uh, but yeah, so overall, the graphics and the atmosphere, upgrade from the first one. Thumbs up from Q. Voice acting. I'm going I'm to keep this section brief because honestly, there's not much to report here. The voice acting in the first one I thought was phenomenal. And the voice acting here in the sequel is just as good. I mean, yeah, I've I've got no complaints there. Tony Todd as as Venom is a match made in heaven, right? It's so good that it's kind of a duh moment. Tony Todd, for those of you who don't know, uh, he uh, he he played the horror icon Candyman, uh, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. He's he's got that really distinct and deep, intimidating voice. Um, he was. He also voiced Darkseid, and I believe it was uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, and I, I believe he may have voiced Darkseid in some other animated films as well. But he has a very good Darkseid, and his Venom here is excellent. And uh, I love the way that he described voicing Venom in this game. You know, because he's done scary, and and for him that comes without effort. And so the way that he described him voicing Venom was. Like, 
as a kid having fun to a degree. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't aiming to be intimidating because then it feels like acting. He was aiming to voice Venom the way that Venom would view the world. And and so that really just kind of added a, a cool element to the voice acting there. Uh, Yuri Lowenthal, I believe is the name of the actor who voices Peter. And uh, I mean, he knocks out the park again. Uh, forgive me, I forget the name of the actor who voices Miles, but he's, I mean, he's always been good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, again, he just, they, they nail it, you know. Uh, I like the voice actor for Harry as well. Um, he and, and Yuri, the voice actor for Peter, they do a really good job of selling you on their friendship. And, and then the game does a good job of also selling you on their friendship as well. Um, Craven was also a really good voice actor here. Uh, and I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. This is probably the best non-comic book adaptation of Craven that we will ever see. So, <laughs> um, you know, for better or for worse, I think you guys should embrace this version of Craven that we get here in this game because it's probably going to be the best that we ever get uh, outside of the comic books. Uh, next up, the story. I thought that the story was mostly good. Um, this does give us a very unique take on Venom and the Craven's Last Hunt story. Um, so this is where things are going to start to break down a little bit here. And again, I'm, I'm just sticking mostly to the good. I'm not getting getting into the uh, the negative yet. But um, the elements they take from Venom, I thought were very cool. And this game surprised me in a lot of ways with things that I should have seen coming. But the game, for the most part, does such an excellent job of keeping me immersed that I don't see the obvious thing coming. And then when I get it, I'm like, holy shit, they're doing the thing. And I didn't even think about it. Uh, so, for example, again, slight spoiler alerts, full spoiler alerts uh, with 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 Venom, right? They, they do the, you know, the, the story reveal here from, I believe it's Kurt Connors. He's talking about the origin of the symbiote and where they found it. And he says, you know, we found this alien symbiote. And then we also found this strange rock that came along with it. And, and on the rock is a symbol, like a spiral symbol. And if you guys are somewhere current on Venom comic books, you know where that comes from. That comes from Donnie Cates' Venom run, which is... Uh, I mean, I don't even think it's arguable, which is the, the best Venom run that has ever been written, the best Venom comic book ever. And the reason why that's so important is because during that run is where we're introduced to Noel, the symbiote god, uh, one of the coolest, most edgelord new villains to come out of Marvel Comics. And so when you see that symbol for the first time, if you know what that is, it, it's a holy shit moment for you, right? Because they're they're introducing all these elements of Noel, and then they don't stop there. We know as the story progresses, and we see what Venom's motive is. He wants to spread this this symbiote nature to the entire world. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it is a little bit mustache twirling here, but the reason why it gets kind of a pass from me is because again, that was Noel's objective. And one reason why it wasn't accomplished in the comic books originally is because the symbiote that we know as Venom was was damaged, uh, and and the and the link between Noel and Venom was severed, right? And so that's why for so many years 
we just don't really know what the symbiotes are there for. And then Donnie Cates comes in and fills in the blanks and gives us this whole Noel um, storyline here. And, and, and for those, those of you who don't know, Noel is the symbiote god, uh, extremely badass character design. And he is known as like one of the one of the old ones in Marvel Comics. Like he existed before existence was like when there was just the void, just darkness. He was there and he thrived and. And then, you know, like there was light and there was, you know, the celestials and then they started to usurp his power, you know, uh, damn near unknowingly because the the darkness or the void was becoming less of a thing because of all these other creations and light. Anyways, I highly suggest you guys read that story. Um, very, very cool story. Uh, with that being said, though, they introduce tons of elements from the Donny Cates Venom slash Noel story. However, they never once name drop Noel. Uh, they never once hint that his presence is technically on the game outside of those Easter eggs. But uh, he is obviously uh, a, a huge influence on the game. Um, and, you know, the other cool story that I mentioned that they adapt here is, is Craven's Last Hunt. Craven's Last Hunt, and I can't overstate this. To me, might be the best Spider-Man story ever written. Now, don't get me wrong; I am not a super Spider-Man fanboy. I, I do have my fair share of Spider-Man comic books, and I have read my fair share of Spider-Man stories. But for me, Craven's Last Hunt—if it's not the best, then it's top three. It's excellent. It's an excellent story. Um, now, because Craven isn't the only villain here, hell, I don't know if I would say Craven is the main villain here. Um, it is. It's not as good in this game as it is in the comic book. And again, like they, they're not doing a one for one. They just use certain elements of Craven's Last Hunt. Um. And for the most part, you know, it, it works really good. Like whenever Craven is on screen, which admittedly is not enough, but when he is on screen, uh, he's very captivating and you just have a, a great time, you know, watching him do his thing. For those who aren't familiar with Craven that much, I can see how they'd be a little confused at, at times. Like, okay, what's he doing here? What does this mean? How is he so freakishly strong? You know, but, um, no, Craven uh, in this game, the character himself is, uh, I think he's he's a, a bit underutilized for, for my liking. But man, when he's on screen, he's effective as shit. And I love the elements of Craven's Last Hunt here. Uh, and then there's some other side missions here that are really cool, too. Um, and, you know, some side quests are just kind of one-off missions that you do. But then there's other ones that are kind of like chained side quest missions uh, the one you do as Miles with uh, the villain Mysterio, um, I thought that they were cool. Uh, you know, they they weren't, you know, the they did a good job of combining like the challenges that you would have to do from the first Spider-Man game and uh, combining that with like a more in-depth story. So uh, I, I thought that the uh, Mysterio side quests, they, they were good. Like they weren't, they're not going to blow your hair back or anything. I'm bald. So nothing really blows my hair back. 
but you know they they were serviceable, you know, for what they were trying to do with the character of Mysterio. But the one that really had me intrigued, um, and this is going to be confusing because I'm going to use the, the name Yuri again. So Yuri Lorenthal is the name of the actor who voices Peter Parker. But there's a character in these games called Yuri Watanabe. She is uh, she was a police detective in the first game. And if you guys have read any of Dan Slott's Spider-Man run, then you might recognize her uh, as uh, the character known as Wraith. She, I believe, does start off as a police detective in the comic books, but then she later transitions to a vigilante. Uh, kind of when she sees that the uh, the way of the badge isn't really serving justice the way that she wants to. And so she transitions to this vigilante who sometimes helps and sometimes hinders Spider-Man. Long story short. And if you guys play the first one, then by the end of the first Spider-Man game, you see Yuri kind of make this dark transition where she's losing faith in the badge. And uh, by the time we get to this game, we see she's gone full on vigilante here. She's Wraith. And um, the reason why this side quest interested me so much is because I am not familiar with the flame. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure if the flame is even in the comic books or if this was created for the um, for the video game. So some of you super Spider-Man nerds out there might know more about this than I do. Uh, and so because I was just completely unfamiliar with this faction known as the flame, I was very much intrigued by it. Um yeah, I, I'm not like the biggest Dan Slott fan out there. So if this is also a part of his run, then I probably missed it. Um, but uh, the interesting thing here about the flame is that it, it is, I believe, the name of this cult that, as you can imagine, is trying to like set fire to the world. Uh, and they have their own motives. But you don't really know much about those motives until the end of the side quest because it's a chain of quests that you do with Yuri. And she's trying to bring these guys down. And uh, I believe the head of this group is also known as the Flame, you know, so that's not confusing. Um, so, yeah, this uh, this cult is, is ran by a guy who's referred to as the Flame and and you're just trying to bring him down and you're helping her out there. And uh, the game, again, it caught me by surprise, like caught me with that fucking surprise uppercut. So by the end of this side quest, uh, you learn that. The Flame's main objective was to, to or, or at least one of his objectives was to get a piece of the symbiote, which he does. He, he gets a piece of, of the symbiote and he gets away. And it's at this point that it's revealed that uh, he goes by many aliases. But in one of the aliases that he goes by is Cletus Cassidy. And of course, Cletus Cassidy is from the comic books, the villain known as Carnage. Uh, so that was a very cool Easter egg there. Um, I don't know for certain if they do anything with that. Um, maybe they do it in a DLC because I don't know if they want to revisit the symbiote arc in the third Spider-Man game. So maybe they do it as a DLC here, uh, later on for this game. But that was a, a very cool wink and a nod there. So big ups. There's a lot of Easter eggs here in this game, by the way, as you can imagine, a lot of cool Easter eggs. Um, and uh, kind of one of the last pros I want to talk about here is uh, the characters. Now, admittedly, uh, the characters are a bit of a mixed bag at times. Um, you know, some characters are motivated by the plot instead of the plot motivating the characters. You know, 
So it, it, there are times where like the characters don't really seem to act independently, but they act in accordance to what the plot needs them to do. But, you know, again, I'm, I don't want to get into the negatives yet. There are some really good character moments we get in this, in this game. Like the interactions between Peter and Miles and, and Peter and Harry are just some of the standout moments. And I already mentioned uh, Craven, how Craven is also just really good in this game when he's on screen. And uh, thankfully, Venom is really, really good here. Uh, let's talk a little, bit, a little bit about Venom. So, obviously, Venom is not Eddie Brock. Some people were having a hissy fit when they found out that uh, Eddie Brock would not be Venom in this game. And to those people, I say, uh, I kindly say, uh, where the hell were you for the first game? Because, again, if you play the first game to completion, you get the post credit scene where you see uh, Harry and, and an Oscorp lab floating in a tank. And there's this mysterious, ominous looking black goo floating in the tank with him. Uh, so we've had five years to pontificate on whether or not Harry is Venom and damn near immediately most people came to the conclusion that yeah they're going to use Harry as Venom so I mean we kind of have five years to stew on that right it uh, in that regard it's a little bit like The Last of Us Part 2 where as soon as The Last of Us Part 2 trailer dropped we all kind of knew that okay Joel's going to die the difference between The Last of Us 2 and Spider-Man 2 is that Spider-Man 2 actually does a good job of executing that <laughs> Whereas The Last of Us 2 was kind of a mess that did a terrible job with his messaging. Um, but the Venom stuff here was great. I mean, there's no two ways around it. I thought that the Venom stuff here was, was for the most part, excellently done. And people are going to compare it to Eddie Brock, right? Like, is it as good as the original Sin Eater arc from the Spider-Man comic books where we see Eddie Brock become Venom? No, but nothing's ever going to be as good as that, right? So, uh, no, no it's, it's not as good as that, but it's damn good still. This game still does an excellent job with this interpretation of Venom. You know, especially since unlike the Sin Eater arc from, you know, back in the early 90s, this game gets the benefit of including some Noah bits here to kind of add to the mystique and goals of, of Venom. You know, so that's really cool here. So, I mean, that, that also kind of tells us that like the, uh, the, this version of Venom is still very much attached to the hive mind. I mean, hell, you play the game long enough and, you know, you, you, there's obviously a hive mind here. They even, you know, call it a hive mind. Venom is a hive mind. Again, the reason why so many years Venom didn't seem to be a hive mind is because his connection to Noel was surfered. And because that connection was, was cut off, there there's no hive mind there anymore. But... Clearly, this no, I mean, this symbiote venom is still very much a part of that hive mind. So, uh, I, I really dug that. I love how they had the symbiote affect both Peter and Harry. Now, the way that we get here to some of these moments, 
um, are a, a wee bit janky. Like they kind of hit the hit the gas on some elements. Like I I don't feel like we actually spend enough time with Peter in the symbiote. I mean, it's so cool, right? I mean, like all of the story elements with Peter in the suit, I thought were really really good, really fucking good. Um, it was it was not just from a gameplay standpoint. It, I mean, don't get me wrong, it is fucking thrilling to play as symbiote Peter. They do not disappoint when you play as symbiote Peter Parker. That shit was so fun. So fucking fun. It's it's almost worth playing through the game again just to play as symbiote Peter. Uh, you know, so I, I just, I really dug it. There's something about just being in the suit and seeing how different he behaves and how different the gameplay mechanics are for that. Um, you know, we, we can talk about the anti-venom stuff later, you know, if, if I feel like it. Uh, it it's, it's good, don't get me wrong, but just seeing that, you know, in video game format done like this was, was really, really good for me. Um, but when, when Harry has the symbiote, uh, I like where we end up. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if it makes much sense how he becomes that monstrosity so quick, right? Because you look at Peter, and in comparison to Harry, they really take their time with Peter when the symbiote is on him. And in comparison to Harry, with Peter, it is it is very much drawn out in a good way, and it's very gradual how we see the symbiote influence Peter and how it slowly begins to take over his mentality. And one of the coolest story beats, again, spoiler alert, uh, but just one of the coolest moments for me is when Peter, you know, he's running the symbiote and, you know, he, he's more aggressive and, you know, more impatient with people. And, you know, he comes home and Mary Jane wants to show him something and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he goes to sleep and then Craven's goons show up and Mary Jane is freaking out because she looks out the window and she sees a bunch of those hunters outside the uh, the the neighborhood. And she goes to look at, at, at Peter to wake him up and he's gone like already and then come to find out during this moment like he's such a fucking monster right like he's he's more monster than mad in his mannerisms and his sounds and his behavior and he's just murking these guys right and what we later learn is that he never woke up peter was asleep for all of that and it was just the symbiote autopiloting peter that i thought was so fucking cool from a story standpoint i really really dug that um the uh, I like the part where you actually get to play as Venom, not symbiote suit Peter, but when you actually play as Venom, and you only do it for a short segment, and uh, it, it was cool, and um, you know for what it was, it was really cool, and I, I'm glad that they don't drag that out any longer because playing as Venom, you don't get a whole lot that you can do from a gameplay standpoint. You know he, he doesn't have the skill trees of Miles or Peter, but he still gets a good bit to do here. Uh, just, just not enough in comparison. And um, yeah, you know, like the the moments where you get to fight Venom are, you know, obviously also for the most part really cool and fun. Uh, I want to address this too. There's some people who take issue with Venom, you know, having this goal to spread the symbiote all over the world. And again, to that, I say, man, you really got to read the, uh, the 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 Noel storyline to really understand that, or, or to get a, a better 
understanding of that because uh, it is really cool and that is that is something that I think maybe benefits comic readers more than people who haven't read it like people who haven't read it may um, not enjoy it that much in comparison right uh, because in that regard if you just play the video game and you don't know anything about Noel then you will definitely think that the Eddie Brock story is way way better Uh and like I said, I do still prefer the Eddie Brock storyline, but in the grand scheme, I, I'm not mad at the goals of Venom in this game because it is in line with, you know, the more recent nature of, of Venom. Anyway, I, I digress. Venom stuff was cool. Um, there were other things about this, you know, the, this this game also that I really enjoyed from a character standpoint. Uh, Martin Lee. He was uh, Mr. Negative. I believe that's also another Dan Slott creation. I could be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure he is, though. Like When I read that, I'm pretty sure it was Dan Slott still writing Spider-Man. Uh, again, I don't think Dan Slott is terrible. I just think he's extremely overrated. Uh, anywho, I, I don't mean to take any shots at Dan Slott. Shout out to Dan. Um, Mr. Lee's stuff in this game was excellent. I think I enjoyed Mr. Uh, Mr. Lee. Martin Lee, a.k.a. Mr. Negative. I think I enjoyed Mr. Negative in this game more than the first. I like his arc, and I like how it ties into Miles, and that really helps Miles grow. And they do such a really great job with that. And then, of course, just like in the comic books, they tie in Martin Lee to the birth of Anti-Venom. Something that I should have seen coming, but I didn't see it coming until moments before it happened. And uh, I was like, holy shit, that is... Fucking incredible. Also, I guess it took me by surprise because you know, in the comic books, Peter doesn't become anti-Venom. That's that's Eddie that becomes anti-Venom. Um, but to, just to see his arc, both Miles and Martin kind of come full circle together, that shit was really cool. And, and it was such a Spider-Man-esque moment, right? Like, Miles needed that. It, it's, it's similar to, you know... You look back at like the, the Spider-Man 3 movie with Tobey Maguire. I know that movie's not that great. But seeing him come to terms with Uncle Ben's killer, you know, really was like the biggest Spider-Man moment in that movie. And, and Miles kind of gets that here with Martin Lee, you know, because in this continuity, Martin Lee kills his dad. And and Miles, you know, he, he can't come to terms with letting that go. So... I thought that was really fucking cool um, how, how that story comes about. So, yeah, in, in terms of the characters, man, so many of them work well for me. So, uh, yeah, that that is, uh, for the most part, my list of, of uh, pros in this game. Uh, one more pro that I do want to mention really quickly. This goes back to the gameplay. Um. Now, whenever you're doing side quests and you come across those fucking aggravating puzzles, guess what? You can skip them. How fucking incredible is that? They they listened, they learned, they adapted. You do not have to do those monotonous ass puzzles anymore. Oh my God, I, <laughs> I was so excited when I found I could just hit the pause button and skip those puzzles. 
Um, I hate puzzles, man, especially my video games. I just, I, I'm not a puzzle kind of guy. I don't know what it is about puzzles that just piss me off. Uh, anywho, there are other things about this game that I like, but, you know, in broad strokes, those are my pros here. So looking at that list of pros, this game sounds amazing. And again, for the most part, it is. However, I would be remiss if I didn't mention some of the things that I dislike about this game. Which leads us to the next sec- uh, session. Section, there we go. Which is uh, the bad. While I mentioned so many things about this game that I think are just chef's kiss. I think that Insomniac did an excellent job on this game. There are some things that I want to talk about, right, that I think the game could do better. There are people out there who praise this game as being the like the game of the year, you know, the greatest superhero game ever made. And they just, I don't know if they have blinders on, if they see no faults. But then on the flip side, there are people who shit on this game and call it a woke mess and say that it's a step backwards from the first one and this, that, and the third. I think that both groups are egregiously wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, but let's, we talked about why the game was so good. Let's talk about why this game isn't perfect. So the first thing I have on here, and and this I think most people kind of agree with across the board, is the game length. Uh, I think that the story is very good, and I think that the the, the side missions for the most part are very good. The, uh, The game length isn't impressive. Right. So I I take my time with video games like I uh, as much as I love video games. I've said this before and time and time again, I'm not really great at them. And I may be being humble here. Maybe I'm better than I give myself credit for. I've done some shit in in video games, but I'm not typically great at, at video games. Right. I'm not particularly skilled, but I do enjoy playing them. But that being said, it takes me longer on average to beat video games than most people. I think when uh, when the credits rolled on my first playthrough of this game, it was at 37 hours. And uh, I think reportedly, like the average time for people to beat the main campaign is around 25 and about 30 to 32 hours to do like all the other bonus side content. And uh, as it stands now, the game doesn't have a new game plus mode. Uh, obviously there's, there's no current DLC out for the game. And so once you beat the game, unless you want to trophy hunt and get all the collectibles, there's really no incentive to go back and play it again. And not unless you immediately want to go back and re-experience the story, which, you know, do you, but, um, the game length, I think is, it's really about the same as the first one, right? Um, in, in terms of the, of the length, so while to me that it's not like a super negative, um, because I I would rather have this right than the flip side where a game is too long and is bloated, right? Because while the this game I see sections that could have maybe should have been longer, just to let the story breathe more and to let moments breathe more, um. I can really only see the story as it stands being maybe giving us another five hours, you know, but maybe there should have been more side content. And I really think that's where the game is missing. I think that there should have been more 
uh, more intricate side missions, right? Um, you know, m- more creative side missions. And, you know, I, I think that at least in one regard, I think that's where the Arkham series maybe has uh, the Spider-Man game franchise beat is in his creativity with his side quest. Uh, because with the Arkham games, outside of the uh, outside of the Riddler side quest, they're really, really immersive and intuitive and, and things that you really want to go back and do. Uh, but the side quest here oftentimes feel a little bit like busy work, which is kind of a, a modern sin for open world video games, getting those side quests that are nothing more than just busy work, tasked to keep you occupied with the game, not really tasked to be fun. Looking at you, Assassin's Creed. Uh, but there's a little bit too much of that and not enough side quests to really keep you immersed in the game. I mentioned the Mysterio side quest earlier, and um, and that one kind of walks a, a tightrope for me, right? Because they combine the challenges of the first one. You guys may remember like the combat challenges or like the, the taskmaster challenges or, I mean, there's a plethora of different challenges that you do throughout the game that are very light on story, but heavy on just fucking keeping you busy and stressed out, especially if you're trying to get all the trophies, you know? Uh, and, and, you, and you're doing that just to kind of get it over with. At least that was me. Um, I, I can't really say if I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I was trying to accomplish something, you know? But with this one, you do get bits of story here, about Mysterio as you're doing these side quests. And while it's not a lot, it's enough to keep me wondering what happens at the end of this. And, you know, I think that uh, it, it was better. It was a step in the right direction. But again, it, it wasn't really great. It wasn't perfect, you know. But I just wish they had more creative side quests like that, more creative ways to use these, uh, you know, use some of the side characters. Um but, you know, for the most part, you can definitely tell, like, when things are just supposed to be, you know, kind of busy work for you to use the, the game's different mechanics. But going back to the game length, though, they would, to a degree, have to restructure the story to get it to be longer. But, again, I think they could have because towards the end of the story, man, things just kind of go from fucking 50 to 1,000 real fucking quick, Right. You know, like the you see Harry get the symbiote back, and then you see fucking like this the monstrosity venom like immediately, and uh, you know with with, he- with Harry's demeanor, I get that the symbiote was pissed, but with Harry's demeanor, he wasn't all the way there yet, so I'm not quite sure why the the transformation from you know. Harry with the suit into Venom was so fucking quick. Uh, I mean, and, and I'm sure that some of you guys have your own theories about that, but keep this in mind. None of that is explicitly stated in the video game. So at this point, they are still just your theories. If you want to defend that viewpoint from the video game, we don't know exactly why the, the Venom transformation was so fucking quick with Harry. You can argue that it's because Harry had the suit before, but his demeanor wasn't really that different. He was still, you know, upbeat for the most part. He wasn't overly aggressive or anything like that. He just showcased the weaknesses with the sonic noises and all that. Uh, and you can argue that it's because the symbiote was pissed at Peter that the transformation was so quick. 
I don't see how that really speeds it up because, again, it's a symbiotic process. Um, but anywho, the, the game length, ultimately, to wrap that point up, I agree with most people. It should have been longer, uh, especially with the lack of additional content because now that I'm done with the game, unless I feel like platinum in the game, I, I'm not really going to go back to it immediately until I get an itch for that story or DLC comes out. Uh, the next point here. Um, this one I think is, is going to grate some people. And then I, but I honestly think that most people who play the game will agree, agree with me on this point. There are people who are just diehards and who will die on the hill of protecting this character. Listen, you guys got to admit defeat. Mary Jane is awful. Okay, I'll say it again. Mary Jane is awful. And not just this game. I thought she was awful in the first game. I think she's worse than this one. <laughs> it, she she just is. Like, in no way, shape, or form does she resemble Mary Jane Watson. And I'm just I'm just not talking physically, okay? I mean, yeah, it, it's clear that this Mary Jane is no fucking supermodel, right? <laughs> they clearly... Didn't go that standpoint for whatever reason. Um, they should have, but they didn't. She is kind of funny looking in these games. But where they really dropped the ball with their character in this game is instead of making her more interesting, they want to make her more important. And the game conflates the two as being the same. I'll, I'll try to say that again for you guys. Like they, The game really, really wants you to think that this character is important when they should be focusing on trying to make Mary Jane more interesting. And as it stands, she's not. Instead of going for the traditional Mary Jane, who is, I mean, again, put the looks aside, okay? I'm not even, put that on a shelf, okay? Like, that is kind of a, a, a moot point here. For me, it's more, more the personality traits of this Mary Jane. She's not clever, she's not witty, and she damn sure isn't charming. Those are like three of the biggest traits of Mary Jane. You know what the other one is? Being a ride or die for Peter Parker. And I also do not think this Mary Jane is that either. I would go so far as to say that this franchise as a whole, so Spider-Man 1 and 2, she's not in the Miles Morales expansion, but Spider-Man 1 and 2... The video games, that is. They never sell me on the idea of her and Peter being a couple. They're so fucking incompatible. They have no chemistry together. And I don't understand how they were ever a couple. And you know what? I'll be I'll go so far as to say this. I don't think that the game developers know either. I think they had an idea of this version of Mary Jane that they wanted to use. But I don't think that they ever understood a way to connect her and Peter on a level where they're compatible. And even at the end of the game, when Peter and Mary Jane have like resolved their issues or whatever, and they're on the same team, I just don't buy it. Like I look at their relationship and I see, and I just say to myself, I don't know how this can last. Like they have so little in common and 
Mary Jane, she's so self-absorbed, right? Like she's so into self that I don't see how she could be focused on a relationship. Uh, she's very uninteresting. And again, she doesn't have any of the, the cleverness, the charm or the charisma of Mary Jane from the comic books. And even though like Zendaya, her version of MJ is, you know, vastly different from the comic book version. She still has all that though. Even though her character is different, she is still very charming, very clever, very witty. And she is still a ride or die for Peter. This version of Mary Jane in this video game has absolutely none of that. And it cannot be overlooked. But the it doesn't stop there. She has, I think technically she may have less segments in this game where you play as her. But there are more, what's that word again? More important to the story than it was the first time around. And the game developer, he came out, I think in a recent interview or something, and he says something like, I know that Mary Jane is overpowered, but I don't care. And that's a problem um, because you're doing this for yourself. Uh, it, it puts me in mind of like, and I forget who was in this interview, but it was a, uh, it was a rapper, right? It might've been 50 cent. I think it was 50 cent. But he was going at rappers, right, for uh, for putting out trash music. And then, you know, certain artists would say, yeah, well, I did that album for me. And 50's retort was, well, that should have stayed with you. It should never have been released to the public. That's how I feel about this game developer's response to criticism of Mary Jane. Uh, people saying that she's not the good of a character, she's overpowered. And his response was, I know that, but I don't care. Um you should care because as soon as you put it out to the public, it no longer belongs to you. You are the creator. Sure. But it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the people. It belongs to the people who consume it, who buy it, who play it. And, uh, yeah, Mary Jane, she's, she's only gotten worse from the first game. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. There is also a portion of the game here where Harry or Venom, I should say, takes Mary Jane and he, imbues her with like a symbiote of her own and this is the game's interpretation of Scream. Scream is of course one of the classic Venom enemies from like the Life Foundation arc and uh, and so we, yeah, we get to see Scream in this game and at first I thought oh, okay this is kind of a cool interpretation of, of Scream. Homies I kid you not that boss fight when you play as Peter Parker and you're fighting Mary Jane who is Scream it was at times at, it was at best laughable and at worst it literally made me cringe seeing the dialogue or hearing the dialogue for that segment of the game and their justification for why Mary Jane has been such a <laughs> explicitive here uh, was uh, disheartening man like it was just uh, yeah it, it was bad so I mean because, you know, the, the symbiote is supposed to bring out, like, the worst parts of you. You know what I mean? And her whole thing was, you never supported my book. You, you know, you you don't care about me. You only care about being Spider-Man. And it was just, it was just bad. I was, did anyone proofread any of that segment before they wrote it? I mean, it felt like it was just put in the game anyway. Because they, they needed to fill out some time or make some space for something. It, it didn't land. 
it was not good. And then even the conclusion wasn't good. You know, Mary Jane eventually comes out of it and she, you know, removes the symbiote. And Peter was like, oh, man, Mary Jane, you're so strong. You removed the symbiote way faster than I ever could have. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit. Like, they, they really, they did it. They <laughs> and so that's what I said earlier. Like, people who complain about the game being full of, like, you know, super liberal propaganda. Like, this is really, Mary Jane is really the only thing that I could look at and say, you might have a point. Uh, but it's not just that it's super liberal or, or whatever propaganda. It's, it's more the idea that it's just bad. <laughs> it's just, it's poorly conceived poorly written and uh, I just don't buy it. I don't buy her and Peter. She's terrible. So, and if any of you, and, and I mean this sincerely, have any kind of retort, if you think I'm wrong, please, please reach out to me and let me know where I went wrong because I, I don't think I am on this one. I, <laughs> I really don't. Um, and it's bad, right? Because I mentioned earlier how you can see or you can feel like the connection between Peter and Miles. Like you believe in, in that friendship and that kind of big brother, little brother type of mentality they have there. You can really believe in Harry and Peter being best friends. And the, and the game and the story does such a great job of selling you on that along with the performances. They have never given you any reason to believe in Peter and Mary Jane. And that's a fucking shame. All right, next up. Uh, Craven. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I've already alluded to the issues here with Craven. Um, Craven is excellent when he's on screen, but my goodness, he's he was underserved. Like, take away some of that Mary Jane shit and then give it to Craven, and, and the game is much better for it. Uh, again, his motives in this game are really solid because they take certain cues from Craven's last hunt. And, uh, the whole premise of Craven's last hunt is that Craven, he's dying. Uh, but he doesn't want to die from, you know, any kind of disease or illness. He thinks that's beneath him. He wants to die from having a, a, a worthy opponent or a worthy foe, something that can, take him down. That's how he wants to go. And in the comic book, he, he views Peter as this great final hunt. Spider-Man is this, it's going to be his last hunt. And the story is very fucking dark. And Kevin and I, we reviewed that uh, a couple years back. So you guys can go back in the catalog and check out our review for Craven's last hunt. But I highly recommend you guys read that story as well. Uh, very powerful. It just leaves you feeling like, whoa, you know, so definitely recommend you guys check out Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, but they do take certain cues from that in terms of his motives and they apply it to this video game. And again, for the most part, uh, it, it does work. And his motives here is that he's looking for, again, that great last hunt. He doesn't want illness to consume him because he thinks that's beneath him. And Craven is so imposing. He's very intimidating. You can tell he's so capable. So his whole idea here is to uh, kidnap villains from the raft and uh, put them in environments where they fight him, but he doesn't find any of them really worthy of him. And so at first we just see him 
kidnap uh, Scorpion, and he does kill Scorpion in this game. Uh, and then we see him also kidnap Martin Lee, and of course, Miles, for several reasons, wants to capture Martin Lee. Uh, and, and that's where Miles' personal story comes into play. And again, which I thought was overall just really, really well done. Um, but, you know, the, the way that we see Craven evolve here, or the way we see his story evolve, is he gets a glimpse of the symbiote. And uh, this is where one of my other cons for this game kind of comes into play. How I say that the the characters serve the plot instead of the plot serving the characters sometimes. Uh, the way that the suit or that the symbiote attaches to Peter was contrived as fuck, right? So do I have a problem with craving with craving getting the best of Peter? No. No, uh, Craven is, he's fucking Craven the Hunter. You know, he's got ways, he's so fucking intelligent. His fight IQ, as MMA fans would, would say, is through the roof. Um, But the fact that he just takes a knife, I know it's a big-ass knife, takes a knife, catches Peter off guard, stabs Peter, and and Peter dies. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, wait a time I went. And I feel like the game knows that that was dumb, which is why they quickly have the, the symbiote detached from Harry. And then it, it of his own will goes to Peter and it revives Peter. And that's how the, the symbiote gets on Peter. Um, what? Like, this is how we, this is how that happens here. This is what we're going with. Um, no dog. <laughs> Listen, if you want to come up with a scenario where, where Peter, is is killed or or defeated by Craven. I am all for that. If you want to use that as the vehicle for the symbiote to come into play and attach itself to Peter, I get it. Okay, I'm not even mad at that idea. But the method that they used for that was just lazy and didn't really make a whole lot of sense. So I get it. The the spider sense that Peter has, right? It's going to vary on who's writing Spider-Man. You know, some people use it as, as a way for Peter to know inherent danger. Some people use it as like automated reflex for Peter. I get it. Like it, the, the use of the spider sense is going to vary. But you're going to tell me that Peter Parker is just defeated by a fucking knife wound. Yeah. That's kind of what I have for that. Um, the way that Craven is dealt with uh, at the end of the game was also, it was just okay. Uh, I feel like they went for shock value. Um, this is the one thing I won't even spoil here on this game. I mean, on this podcast, you know, I, I, I want you guys to experience that for yourself. And if you want to know, it's just one Google click away or one YouTube video away. If you want to know how Craven's story uh, ends in this video game. Um, but, you know, he, he, he gets he gets a hunt that he's looking for, and, and then, you know, it just kind of, you know, it ends. And then we continue on with the story. Um, and while, again, it, his conclusion wasn't bad, it wasn't impactful either. And I go back to Craven's last hunt, and man, by the time that story ends, you're left feeling like emotionally drained. 
And, you know, you're having so many conflicting feelings about Craven as a person by the end of that story. And again, I know that this game is not supposed to be a one-for-one recreation of Craven's Last Hunt. However, if you're going to adapt elements of it, make sure you get all the best parts of it. You know what I mean? And so with the conclusion of Craven, they really missed out to me. Uh, let's see, what else do I have here? Uh, yeah, I saw another uh, negative about this game is uh, the henchman variety, or lack thereof. You will spend probably 80-85% of this game fighting Craven's hunters. Those are his his henchmen. And there's, I don't know, maybe three or four types of them. And then at the very tail end of the game, you end up fighting, you know, symbiote hordes, which I I guess they're a slightly different variety, but if we're being honest, man, like the, the enemy variety in this game is lacking. There's just not a whole lot of different enemy types. And uh, I mean, you can argue that uh, Arkham uh, Arkham City had a problem with uh, enemy variety as well. But I think that, uh, you know, that game that is now like 12 years old still has slightly more or better variety of enemies than than this game, you know. Uh, yeah, I just got bored after a while fighting fucking craven goons you know it's just it became monotonous at a certain point uh another thing about this game that really grind my gears and 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 these next two points i'm gonna just uh kind of spot out back to back because they are connected i think um peter needed to overcome the symbiote on his own that is such an important part of the character right and another reason why I like that whole arc in the comic book is better than, than it was done in the game here. Again, I know you shouldn't have to compare the two, but whenever there's source material, there's going to be comparison. So got to get over that. But, you know, in, in the comic books, the reason why Peter Parker is such a beloved character is because he faces so many, uh, he faces so much adversity on his own and so much trauma and turmoil on his own, and he finds a way to fucking overcome it. Like, that's, I mean, that's just Spider-Man in a nutshell. That's why I love the ending of No Way Home so much, is because we see Spider-Man stand on his own ten toes down, and he's got to figure it out on his own now. He's got to do it. He's had, he has to be Spider-Man now. And the first game did that so well, right? At the end of the first game, when Peter is fighting the Sinister Six, and he's getting his ass beat and you're just wondering is somebody going to come in and help him at the last moment no peter has to get up and figure that shit out and i was like that is spider-man right there that's spider-man in this game i get it you play as peter and miles but he gets his ass saved time after time after time again uh, and I don't want to go off on a, on a tangent here, but this is kind of an issue with like comic books to a degree also, right? Because, for example, you read a Batman comic book and it can be, you know, Arkham Asylum can fucking empty out and all the criminals are on the street and Batman has to find a way to round them all up. And, you know, because Batman is that dude, he's going to figure it out and he's going to do it. And in the hands of a capable writer, it'd be an incredible story. And with Batman's capabilities, you'll believe it. But 
you take a similar scenario and you put Batman in the Justice League and he'll be saved by somebody instead of him overcoming it by himself. I'm using that I'm using that as an example to show how sometimes writers use other characters as a crutch instead of using that character it himself him or herself to overcome that adversity. And um, it's okay if you want to do that on occasions, but you have to make it feel special, needed, and warranted. Uh, oftentimes, in comic books and in this Spider-Man 2 video game, they use the additional characters as a lazy crutch. Instead of having the lead character overcome obstacles that we know they can by themselves. Uh, and again, I go back to that that. Sinister Six moment in Spider-Man 1 in that video game. Excellent work. Excellent work. And there's one reason why I prefer the story in Spider-Man 1 over this one. The story in Spider-Man 1 was more was more personal. You know, it, it was uh, more gripping. And uh, it was just more Spider-Man-esque. Which is weird to say, right? Uh, so in this one, he needs the help of Miles and the help of Mary Jane to overcome the symbiote. And I'm like, you guys really missed out like on one of the most iconic scenes in Spider-Man history, seeing Peter of his own volition and his own recognition, realizing that he needs to rid himself of that symbiote. And he does so alone in this painful manner. And I get it. He's got help in this game now. Right. But there's some things that heroes have to do by themselves. And there's a lot of people online who claim that Peter is constantly being saved in this game. And you know what? They're right. He is. Peter is constantly being saved by Mary Jane and Miles. I mean, it, it does happen on several occasions. And it's to the, to the degree where you wonder, are the developers, developers or writers of this game aware of what they're doing here? Like they're kind of making Peter look and feel a bit like a bitch when he shouldn't. Um, it's just an odd contrast, again, especially since right before this game came out, I replayed the first one. And so those differences for me are night and day. Um, but yeah, Peter should have overcome the symbiote by himself. And that goes right into the next uh, next negative thing I have to say about the game, which is uh, Peter, again, big spoiler alert here. Peter retiring at the end of the game feels selfish and wrong. Uh, so basically at the end of the game, Peter decides he wants to go off and live happily ever after and at May's house with Mary Jane. And he wants to continue what uh, he and Harry plan to do, which is, you know, change the world with uh uh, it was it wasn't called Feast again, was it? The, the name the name of the organization that Peter and Harry were were working with together, uh, and you know, with Peter's scientific mind, he wants to you know buckle down and do the things that he and Harry wanted to do together, and uh, you know, which is a lot of good work, admittedly, but um, in doing so, he realizes that you know he he can't do that and be Spider Man for some reason, and uh, so. You know, he basically says to Miles, hey, Miles, uh, I, I, you got this. And Miles is like, yeah, I got this. And, uh, and Miles is now the, uh, the lead Spider-Man. Here's the thing. Um, there, since that revelation has 
you know, become more prominent online, people have been, again, bashing Miles Morales and, uh, you know, saying very negative things. And you, you know what? If you like Peter more than Miles, I, I get it. Hell, I, I like Peter more than Miles. And there's nothing against the character. It's just Peter in the comic books, he just, he has more iconic moments, more uh, iconic stories. He's just, he's done more. He's earned more. And, uh, but I think that Miles is also an incredible character. And if you like Miles more than Peter, I understand. Uh, it's it's just, a, just a preference thing. But I don't agree with people just throwing it out the window because Miles is, is taking over now. Um, my issue is with the fact that Peter is just going to make this selfish decision and have Miles take over. Like, explain to me how that makes sense for Peter to do. Whatever happened to great power and great responsibility, Pete? Like that's like the first lesson lesson that you learned as Spider Man, and now you're gonna put that away because uh, you know what? I prefer living a good life. I get that, but you're gonna let this kid step in and 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 do this thing by himself now? Uh, yeah, again, it's fucking selfish. And to compare it to Batman again. Can you conceive of a world, right, where Dick Grayson doesn't go to Bloodhaven or Tim Drake doesn't go to the Titans or, you know, uh, uh, Damian Wayne, you know, becomes of a proper age and training. And and Bruce says, okay, um, Robin, whichever Robin you guys want to pick for this fictional scenario, uh, Robin, you you got this now. Uh, I'm gonna settle down with Catwoman or Talia or Vicky Vale, whoever, uh, Jezebel Jet, whichever former Batman lover. I'm gonna settle down here and went and run Wayne Corp. And you guys got this. No, you can't see that happening because it's fucking ridiculous. But now I'm afraid that I've said it out loud and Tom King is going to return and write Batman and make that a story. I shouldn't have said that shit. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the reason why that feels wrong is because it is. And it's the same thing here with Peter Parker. I'm not saying that he's renouncing Spider-Man, but he's stepping back. And um, it, it was just a weird, contrived, forced way for the game to have Miles be the main Spider-Man. And I'll say this, I hate the way that, that Miles' origin has to start in the comic books, but Brian Michael Bendis wrote his ass off and did a lot of tongue-in-cheek dialogue and a lot of self-aware dialogue to put the readers at ease. And when we see Miles start in the comic books, uh, Brian Michael Bendis makes it work. And Brian, he... The way he does it is he kills off Peter and Miles never even really knows Peter and Miles has to figure that shit out on his own. I think that took way more balls than what the game did here, which they don't have the balls to kill Peter because they know that that would cause backlash. So instead, they'll just have Peter find a way to step aside and, and have Miles take over the reins. So, again, I really love both characters, but, yeah, 
That shit was fucking retarded. Excuse my French. All right. Um, next up here. This is more of a, a, the last two are more small things. I think I cover like most of the, uh, most of the big gripes I have about the game. But uh, yeah, next up, where the fuck are all the other heroes or even the police? Okay. So where are all the heroes? That was a question in the first game, you know, because like in the first game you find uh, Josie's bar, which is a common ground place for Daredevil. Uh, I mean, in this game, you even find um, the law office of Murdoch and Nelson. You know, in, in the first game, you also find Avengers Tower and you find the Sanctum Sanctorum. You know what I mean? So you know that there are other heroes in the first game. And when shit hits the fan, they never show up. And it leaves everyone wondering, where is everyone? In this game, you know, they give you a wink and a nod to Wong and Doctor Strange. Uh, but... They're not in the game. And also, uh, they put the Baxter building in this game, which is, you know, the Fantastic Four HQ. Uh, so they give you more Easter egg to more superheroes, but again, nowhere to be found. And uh, maybe it's some, some, some sort of a licensing issue. I mean, I, I don't know. But, uh, okay, so let's say that it is a licensing issue, right? Because Spider-Man is technically a Sony-made game, and Spider-Man is a Sony property in terms of the licensing rights. So maybe the issue is, uh, you know, the fact that Marvel Disney owns the rights to basically all the other characters. But the problem with that theory is that Sony owns the rights to all of the Spider-Characters which means that there are still other heroes technically that they could use in the Spider-Man games. There's Jessica Drew, um, who is probably, she's got to be like my top three favorite spider people simply because she isn't technically associated with Peter Parker. So she's not some sort of weird derivative, but like all the other 987,000 spider people are all technically derivatives of Peter some way. Uh, but not Jessica. She actually stands on her own. She just kind of uh, stole the name. But anywho, uh, so yeah, th th there's no other spider people. It's just kind of Peter and Miles, you know, doing the damn thing. Uh, but the other issue here is where are the police in this game? Uh, the police were all throughout Spider-Man 1 and the Miles Morales expansion. They are noticeably missing from this game, like, I, don't get me wrong, you, you do still, like, hear police sirens and you see them pull up after you stop a petty crime or something like that. But in terms of, like, the story elements and, and, and them wanting to, to stop crime as best they can on their own, their presence is almost completely muted. And like I said, like I said, it's not like you don't see them at all, but they definitely take a back seat here. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. There's literally a fucking alien invasion, you know what I mean? And they are nowhere to be found. Um, you know, you don't, whenever you chase down a car in this game and stop like car thieves or whatever, in the first game, the police were always in hot pursuit in this game. They are not. And, uh, you know, at first I just wanted to write it off as an oversight, but now I think that maybe there's something else going on. Maybe something more, more nefarious. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not painting the narrative that this game is anti-police or anything like that, but I just think it's a it's a weird, noticeable over oversight. 
Um, before I talk about the last thing, there is one other gripe that I have, which is uh, the uh, the boss fights. Uh, the boss fights walk a tightrope of being really fucking cool and cinematic and being overdone. Um, some of these boss fights have two, three, four phases. And it's like, why? You know what I mean? So I, I don't mind a boss fight having multiple phases, especially in like these type of immersive single player experiences. My issue, however, comes from when the uh, phase goes from, uh, of, of you know, the, the villain or the boss fight having, uh, one set of moves and then a slight variation of those same moves. And it just felt like the game was drawing it out. Like again, the same way they, they mistook Mary Jane being more important for her being more interesting. This game takes boss fights and instead of them being more immersive, they're just longer, you know? So again, the, the, the boss fights, I don't think they're bad, but by the by the end of the boss fights, with most of them, you feel differently than you do at the beginning of the boss fight. Like, the, the lizard fight is a good example of that. At the beginning of the lizard fight, I was just, you know, leaning forward on the couch, eyes glued to the TV screen, hand gripping the controller tightly. I was like, okay, let's fucking do this lizard. The lizard looks great in the game, by the way. And by the end of the boss fight, I was fucking, you know, kind of exhausted with it, sitting back on the couch, I think I'd taken a, pro a pause break to go do something, you know, come back and like, okay, let's fucking do this sequence again. Hey, uh, you know, it's just, you, you kind of grow tired of it by the end. So they want the boss fights to be epic. Um, but again, the game kind of lacks the creativity to really give it the oomph that it needs to be something special. Uh, but that's not to say that there aren't special moments in these boss fights. They are, but they're just so overdrawn and where the game has too much length, they don't do enough creatively to keep you immersed in the experience. And, uh, the, the last kind of gripe I have here is, um, the, uh, the Easter eggs or the post credit scenes, whatever you want to call them at the end of the game were, yeah, I'll just say they were bad. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the first game, you know, you get uh, the 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 Harry and Symbiote reveal, which was uh, kind of a, a, a cool holy shit moment. At the end of this game, I, I, I guarantee you, nine out of ten players had to go and look up who the fuck that was at the end of this game. So at the end of this game, guys, you get the reveal of Silk. Who was Silk? I barely fucking know. <laughs> Don't go ask me. That's somebody who reads that shit. Uh, <laughs> Silk is uh, derivative Spider-Man character n number 8,678. Uh, <laughs> it's just, she's another spider person. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the post credit scene. She shows up for dinner. Uh, yeah, at, at Miles's place. You guys excited for Silk? <laughs> oh, 
shit. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the last of my con list, right? So yeah. So now that we've we've discussed the good, we've discussed the bad. What are my final thoughts for this game? How does it compare to the Arkham series? And what do I score it? This game is undoubtedly a ton of fun. And it is undoubtedly the best superhero game in terms of overall presentation. It's the best superhero game since the last Arkham game, which came out back in like 2015. That was Arkham Knight. This game has amazing graphics. It's got a great score. It has great cinematic moments. Phenomenal gameplay. Excellent rendering with this huge world. There's so much good going on for this game. However, it is marred by several things that just bring it down. Uh, Mary Jane is awful. Craven is underutilized. Um, you know, there's there's moment in the game that just draw you out from the immersion, like the the overdrawn or overblown boss fights at times. Uh, the the game is is still for the most part pretty brief, pretty short. Um, you know, and, and, and Peter suffering for the sake of the story in terms of his own character growth development and those moments that really make him Spider-Man or kind of kind of take a back seat to whatever the plot wants to do sometimes. So, yeah, th- there are bad things about the game, but did it make my experience that much worse? No, like I said, I still think this is a great game. But now that I've beaten it, how do I think it compares to the likes of Arkham City? Um, now, back when uh, Caleb and I first had that discussion on the comic news episode, I said that, uh, you know, it's, it's close, but I'm not sure. I might give it to Arkham City based off of what I played. But again, I needed to play more of Spider-Man 2. Uh, but now that I have played this game to its completion and I see everything that this game has to offer... Uh, Arkham City, hands down, is the better game. And, uh, you know, it it comes down to Arkham City being this, what, 13-year-old game that still has really solid gameplay mechanics. But, you know, outside of that, the immersion. When you play these games, these superhero games, for me... So much of it is about immersion and character moments. And Arkham City has that in spades. Arkham City has enough of that shit to give away. Uh, Spider-Man 2 doesn't. They make some weird creative choices at times that I just can't get down with. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Arkham City still reigns supreme in my mind. I'm curious to see what you guys think, though. But, like I said, that does not mean that this is an awful game. Insomniacs, Spider-Man 2, I think as a whole, is still better than Spider-Man 1. Uh, Spider-Man 1, or the 2018 Spider-Man game, I should say, is only better than Spider-Man 2 in terms of its story 
and character development for Peter. Granted, those are two very big things. <laughs> those are the only two ways that the first Spider-Man game is better than, than this one. Uh, so how do I score this game? Uh, I think that it is a, a, a damn good game. And it is one of the best video games that I'll, I'll play this year. I'm sure of it. Uh, but I give it an 8.4 out of 10. Very solid game. Very great experience. Um, and if you guys have listened to this whole podcast and you haven't played it yourself, I highly recommend you guys check it out, especially if you're a fan of superhero games, superheroes in general, or Spider-Man, you know? Even if you think that you're not good at video games, you know, this is one of those games that's designed for everyone. You know, anyone can pick up this game and learn their controls and have a good time with it. There's different difficulty settings to fit your liking. Uh, you know, there, there's things the game does to make it accessible for you know, just about everyone. So I think the game is a good time. I don't think that it's woke propaganda. I think that's been overblown. Uh, I think that people <laughs> are maybe just conflating the awful Mary Jane for that. Uh, but yeah, that's what I think about this game. 8.4 out of 10. Uh, I think it's a solid score for a solid game. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. And like I said, if you guys want to get more episodes as soon as they release and I have to wait for them to come out like a week or two later, then a good way to do that and also support me is uh, at Patreon, patreon.com backslash superhero homies. Uh, that, uh, that really helps me keep this podcast afloat and keep things moving smoothly. But uh, that's all for now, guys. So thank you guys again for listening in. I will see you guys again soon. But until then, my name is Superhero Homie Q signing out.